This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. This episode focuses on how powerful writing is often tied to success in your profession and in your life. Our guest expert is retired Air Force Colonel Carla Bass. She's had a fascinating career, often drafting letters and reports for senior leaders in the military, government, the diplomatic community, and the private sector as well. She's taught thousands of people how to be better writers, and she's the author of a prize-winning book, Write to Influence. Today, Carla will give us some tips on how you can become a stronger writer. And she'll offer suggestions for specific types of business writing, from your resume to your thank you notes. Carla, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited about your uh, new edition of your book, Right to Influence. It's, it's a terrific guide, and I know it's going to be helpful for lots of our listeners. But before we get to some of the details, I would love to hear a little bit about your career and how your career as an Air Force colonel turned you into a powerful writing expert. That's a difficult uh, transition to guess about. Oh, that's, uh, see if I can, if I can condense that into a, into a short answer. First, thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Uh, my Air Force career I followed my father's footsteps. Uh, it was in uh, seventh grade. I was in seventh grade when I actually decided Air Force intelligence. Uh, uh, this is during the Vietnam War. My father was at that point in targeting intelligence, and I thought, well, he can't tell me, so I'll find out for myself. And so that's that's what I launched into. Um, as far as the writing, I actually, I think I inherited that gift from my mother as well. She was a published author, uh, a radio talk show host, uh, twice newspaper columnist. So I'm kind of the embodiment of, of what I hope to think is the best of both of my parents. The, uh, the writing aspect itself, when I was a lieutenant colonel, I was a squadron commander in Hawaii. That means I was in charge of a unit of 480 really talented young men and women. When I arrived on that job, it was the most losing unit in the entire state for professional quarterly and annual awards. Wow. And it, it was so not because the people didn't deserve the awards, but because these hardworking individuals worked for supervisors who couldn't write a winning nomination package. So you could be the best tech sergeant, the most dedicated, but if your boss couldn't tell your story, you lose. So this was hurting careers. It was hurting families. It was, you know, you don't get the pay raise. You don't get the, the ability to, to contribute and send your kid to college. So I took three days. I sequestered myself in a, in a beach cabin, and I analyzed my own writing. Out of that, I developed what's part two of the book called Word Sculpting Techniques. So I turned that into a 20-page a handbook, very tactical, very rough, 
but I taught my troops how to write. And all of a sudden, we started sweeping the awards. The 324th Intelligence Squadron became the unit to beat. And then the other units on the island said, can you come teach us also? Well, I did. I thought, well, crap, there goes my competitive edge. (laughs) But I ended up teaching for the next 15 years to thousands of Air Force folks because there was such a vacuous need. I had no idea. Um, and, And that the lesson I took out of that Two things, actually. First of all, powerful writing changes lives. It opens doors to opportunity yes. that would otherwise remain closed, and that is as true now as it was then. You could be the most talented for a job, hands down, but if the competition is better at telling a story, you lose, and so does the potential employer who would have benefited more by hiring you, but you couldn't tell your story well enough. I so agree with you. I think that no matter what field you're in, if you can tell your story, whether it's in the job search process mm-hmm. or um, just about any activity you're doing, if you can tell your story and if you can write a note, mm-hmm. you can make a huge difference. But I want to go back a second here to this term you used because I noticed it in the book and I loved it. And I want you to explain it if you would. And that was... Um, Sculpting words, word sculpting. Okay, so I will I will explain to you like I do my workshops. Poof, you are now an artist. You're a sculptor. You're sitting in a sun drenched studio in Paris. You've got Ooh, the beret. <laughs> You've got the 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 chisel and so forth, and you're facing an eight foot tall uh, piece of marble. Because you're a master sculptor, you know the image that lies dormant in that marble. So click 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 click. There is the rebel. There's your image. Word sculpting is the same thing. After you've completed the first draft, all of your thoughts are on the page. You now take my 10 word sculpting tools, and sentence by sentence, you identify the useless words, the words that hog space, the bureaucratic blather, as I call it, and you call that out. And after you've applied the 10 word sculpting tools, all of a sudden, instead of having one page of kind of okay stuff, You've got half of a page of really hard-hitting text, and you've bought yourself opportunity. Now, let me, let me throw another idea at you. If, if you and your listeners can imagine a white rectangle, about six inches wide and maybe an inch tall, white rectangle, superimpose in that space in big, bold letters the word opportunity. So the, the point here is that Every writer is constrained by two things. You're constrained by time. Readers are busy. Tick, 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 tick. What do you want? Okay, make your case and get off the stage. You're also constrained by space, whether it's the above the fold space on a web page, or if you're limited to X number of words for whatever you're submitting, or sometimes government forms have demarcated spaces where that's all the area you're allowed to make. Okay, So after you've applied the the word sculpting and you've gone from a page of stuff to half a page of hard-hitting text, you've just purchased yourself another half uh, half page of opportunity to continue making your points. So now these tools, I'm assuming these are tools to help you figure out which words mm-hmm. to remove. If somebody's wants to start playing with this and they haven't yet bought your wonderful mm-hmm. book, what are some of the kinds of words or what are some of the tools that they should think about. Okay, one of the one of the tools I call it verbs are your friends rely on them. So imagine imagine now a hard boiled egg and make that hard boiled egg 6 feet tall. 
All right. That's so a big it's image. A big <laughs> egg. Now focus on the yolk. The yolk is the verb. The white stuff is a bureaucratic blather that business writing and academic writing and corporate writing and government writing smothers the verbs in. Oh, what a All great right? image. So, so here are some examples. Uh, reduce the amount of time, okay? It's the same thing as expedite. Remember, remember we're focusing yeah, on the yeah. yoke. Demonstrate the validity is validate. Conduct oversight is oversee. Provide protection, protect. Um, uh, keep separated, separate. You see? Yes, exactly. So you, you get rid of all the bureaucratic blather that smothers the real verb, and you cut straight to the verb itself. And and with a little bit of thought, you know, it's almost like a scavenger hunt. These find the useless words, find the redundancies, find the hog space, um, the words that hog space. It's it's actually fun as a scavenger. Hunt. Ah, found another one. I just so, saved myself six spaces. One thing that that I've done in the past is to do this with a partner. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's easier to spot um, your friend's tedious, extra, unneeded words than to see your own because you're so used to your own. So one thing that people can do with a colleague or mm -hmm. with a friend is practice with each other, right? Well, I wouldn't say practice, but I would definitely agree with the second set of eyes. So after you've given it your best shot, then by all means, turn to somebody else for that second that second set of eyes, a sanity check. Um, something else I recommend is after after you think you're done, read it out loud, as in physically out loud, and yeah. listen to the flow of the words because you can you can pick up so many more things audibly than you can by reading, and you'll hear. If the text flows, you will hear that, whoops, I said the same word four times in five sentences. Not good. You'll hear the repetition, the unnecessary repetition, and that will help you uh, refine the product. That makes a lot of sense, too. Well, one of the things um, that I love about your examples is that you don't just talk about the theory of powerful writing, which, of course, is terrifically helpful and important, but you talk about particular kinds of writing that really make a difference. And since this is a podcast that focuses a lot on career issues, we very often talk here about things like resumes and LinkedIn profiles and things like that. Are there messages that you particularly want to raise or questions that you particularly want to answer in that yoke of your resume? The um, the opening two lines of a resume. Remember, remembering that everybody is busy, so you only have X number of seconds to catch to, to hook the audience. So th the opening lines of the resume should not explain how great you are. Okay, this is one thing that that people often that they they pitch the wrong message. It's not how great I am. It's how can I benefit the company. So, so what you're trying to say is, dear reviewer, dear potential employer, this is how you will benefit by hiring me, and then pitch the resume in that way. Um, as long as we're on resumes, uh, verbs, uh, um, there are so many resumes that, that for example, here are some, here are some bullets from one resume. Listen, listen to what it doesn't say and how it doesn't flow. Uh, Primary liaison between, responsible for, responsible for, contributor in, contributor in, responsible for, maintain, contributor in, 
ensuring all official documents, delegated authority by, serves as the voice of. You hear how that A lot of extra words. Extra words, and none of those say anything. So instead of instead of those words, which all they do is beg questions, what did you do? Uh, implements, initiated, orchestrated, uh, proposed, uh, hard-hitting verbs that actually convey an action that, that explain to the reader what you've done, but always pitch it in. Here's a problem that the, the company is seeking to resolve, and here's how I can tailor what I've done to talk to those shortfalls. Here's how I can be a team player and help. And so one of the things you're doing, as you describe that, is getting away from the way resumes used to be and too often still are, I think, which is kind of a a recitation of old job descriptions. Mm -hmm. It's not about your job description. It's about what you actually did, what you actually accomplished Mm -hmm. that might be relevant to the person you're sending this to, right? Exactly. And and another aspect for resumes is people often don't think to add the details. So here's an example of a bullet without the details, and then I'll follow that with here's how the detail. Detail for any writing, not just for resumes, but for anything, uh, provide the reader a mental yardstick. They provide contour and depth and dimension to a story that otherwise would remain flat. So for example, uh, this would be a, a potential resume bullet. Supervised a, a team um, studying a company's aging logistics system uh, made several recommendations that were provided to the CEO. Okay, on surface, that sounds okay. On surface, it's just flatter than a pan- pancake. Um, supervised a nine-person team over a five-week study that made six recommendations, which the CEO accepted, saved yes. the company $879,000. Do you hear the difference? Yeah, yeah. That's so Detail much more specific, and you can yes. visualize it. Detail, give it three dimensions, okay? And and it really imparts, or de- it describes the impact that you really had. So that's what you want to convey in, in resumes, is what impact did you have? How did the previous organizations benefit by having you, but always tailor it to here are the skill sets that I have that will help the company to which I'm now um, applying. And I like the way you use numbers. They're specific and they make things more clear, but what you said is it's not flat. It's not just that it's specific information, but it makes it real somehow. It gives people an opportunity to to have a sense of the scope puts it in context, right? Mm-hmm. So numbers are a really good addition. Um, and you use them in a lot of different ways in your example. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's shift from resumes, which are, of course, important, um, to email. As you said, everybody's busy, busy, busy. And one of the things that seems to be driving a lot of my clients crazy is the burden of emails, of wordy, lengthy emails with too many copies and um, taking too much time. Do you have any suggestions for an organization or for an individual on how to um, make emails less burdensome and more effective at actually communicating something? Uh, Yes, and this is helping, you're helping others help you because if they actually read your email and respond as you would like, everybody benefits. So the the first suggestion is to use a subject line. If if you have an action, 
um, that's going to be uh, embedded or carried by your email, put that word in the, in the subject line, big bold letters, action, semicolon, and then give the topic. Topic That's kind of a bell ringer for the reader that, oh, okay, you got my attention. Um, the next would be, if you have three questions, explain in the opening sentence. Uh, Jane, I have three questions. And then actually number them, one dot two dot three dot so that the reader understand don't write in big bulky paragraphs because that's like eating a horse pill all right so one two three um and you make it scannable when you're putting in dot points and numbers people can kind of look at a glance at it and, and get a sense of what's there yes. So that's part of it yep uh the other thing people often don't do and it's not just an email but it's it's pretty much in, in all correspondence is if you only have 15 seconds in that email to communicate to the reader, what's the most important point? Start with that. So the, the action, the main point first, and then follow up with any background or ancillary information. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Ready to advance your career while accommodating your busy schedule? Central Ohio's only Executive Master of Public Administration program for working professionals can help you. It's conducted by the Ohio University Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at the new Ohio Dublin Center campus. It's affordable and meets just three weekends per semester. No GRE is required for admission. For more information, visit oempa.ohio.edu. So all that preliminary stuff um, can waste some space and some time. But what about um, being polite? um, I'm sorry to bother you, but no, or, no, no. Everybody, everybody is busy. So yeah. when, when you say, "I'm sorry to bother you, but you've just wasted X mm-hmm. number of my seconds," um, here's here's another example. So uh, this would be, would be a um, a note that the organizer of a conference sent out to to all the attendees. Uh, Dear so and so, thank you very much for attending our conference on blah 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 blah. And it goes on for about four or five lines. Oh, there is something really important I forgot to mention, and there's there's the golden nugget. But the problem is people aren't going to read three quarters of the way through a boring email, and you've just lost your audience, and your email is completely ineffective, and whatever that important nugget was, it's not going to happen. So you reverse it. Dear so-and-so, uh, I forgot to mention something at our conference. Here it is, bump, bump. And oh, by the way, thank you very much for coming. It was really productive and blah, 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 blah. So that's one of my word sculpting tools, actually. I call it the horse before the cart. Put the horse before the cart. Get the important stuff up front and then follow with uh, the backup information. You have to triage. It's all strategy. It's strategy and it's it's being organized mm-hmm. uh, so that you know where you're going before you start. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I've seen work sometimes, and um, tell me if this seems like a, a, a good idea for a lot of people, is that within a team where people are sending back the same kind of information all the time, uh, 
summary of a project status or maybe minutes or something like that is you have a template, mm-hmm. almost a fill in the blank, with so that you can um, send um, standard information back and forth to each other and everybody can look quickly and you just all agree you don't need to have any preliminaries. Yes. Yep. That's sort of a useful way. Yep. The, uh, the greatest, for me, the greatest conversation killer in an email is one that opens up with, thank you, blah, 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 because my visceral reaction is, you're welcome, and I want to go on to the next email. So don't front load those, those opening sentences. Get right to the point. Everybody appreciates that. It's not rude. Okay, but now, now uh, you said the magic, some magic words, and I want to go back to those. Aside from email in general, mm-hmm. um, I know that like me, you are a fan of thank you notes. That mm-hmm. when thank you is, is I guess the um, the card in front of the horse. When it's an important part, a thank you note is um, a gem, and it's something that um, um, can can serve you well. It's 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 a good thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. It it's a a finishing touch. It shows. It shows social sophistication. It shows business etiquette. It shows compassion to another human being. Um, it indicates to the recipient uh, how you might deal with other clients and with work colleagues. It, it's a refinement, and they're very important, especially following job interviews. Okay. Well, you know, I've heard people say, particularly students, I think, more than some of my mature clients, ah, I didn't send a thank you note because I didn't know what to say. What should people say as a thank you after a job interview that seemed to go pretty well? First of all, they need to recognize that as, as the thank you note is it's like a silver platter. It's an opportunity one more time to put your name and your qualifications in front of that decision-making body. So it's an opportunity not to be missed. Um I think there, uh, the latest statistic I saw was maybe 50%, maybe l- a larger percentage of job applicants do not send thank you notes. So the whole idea wow. the whole idea here is to be able to stand out from the crowd. So just by the simple act of sending a thank you note, you catapult yourself above so many uh, the, the numbers of the competition. Now what goes what goes in a thank you note? The thank you note, again, is the vehicle. That's not the message that you're trying to send, though. Thank you, obviously. But what you need to do is strategize the heck out of that little piece of paper. So think back to the the interview itself. Uh, were there one or two points about your capabilities or skills or qualifications that the, the potential employer really keyed in on? Uh, is there something unique that you bring that they really want? So that's that's one thing to remember. During the course of the interview, did you and the interviewer uh, strike up any any personal um, parallels? Did you go to the same college? Do you have the same hobbies? Was there was there any kind of a of a, a, a resonance there? If so, put that in the thank you note also, because that will help the reader remember who you are amongst the very many other candidates that they had. It'll help build a connection and make you memorable. Exactly. And then people also ask, okay, so so now that I understand what goes into what the content is of the thank you note, what's the vehicle? You've got three choices. It can either be email or it can be a handwritten note or it can be a typed letter. My recommendation is, is it employs all three. So I would recommend a typewritten letter because that conveys more thought 
than a regular email. Okay, it also gives you more space to be able to make those hard-hitting points. Uh, I, I would not rely only on an email. Why? Because an email is just that. It's another email. Something else are going to have to click and open. That's one reason. Second is your email may not make it through the spam filter, so the individual may not ever receive this very important communication. Uh, the handwritten part, um, a handwritten note is, is nice, it's personal, but it's also very limiting in the amount of space and the amount of uh, information you can convey. So what I say is do a, a, a thank you note on, on a letterhead, uh, good quality paper, um, to get that personal touch, you can write a personal note in the bottom corner. Dear Mr. Smith, I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, if you need anything more, let me know. Just a handwritten note in the corner, that gives a personal touch. But then email that individual and say, Mr. Smith, I appreciated the interview. I just posted you a letter which you should receive in the coming days. So that's how you leverage all three of those vehicles to deliver a very impactful thank you letter. And those multiple vehicles, um, uh, that's another strategy. I, I, mm -hmm. I like the way you emphasize strategy. In fact, speaking of strategy, we've talked about a few specific uh, kinds of writing and um, times when writing is important, but I... Um, I think what you did is you started out your career of teaching writing for a specific purpose, those awards, and then it feels like you gradually realized writing is transformative. It's just incredibly important, and just about anybody can make some change in their career. Can you comment a little bit on just how powerful writing can be and why people should think about it as maybe a... Uh, something they could spend their time on? Yep, uh, two things. To go back and pick up some pieces, I, I'm loving this conversation. The The second battle cry I had, the first was powerful writing yeah. changes lives. The second battle cry is that powerful writing is a fundamental leadership skill. If, if you don't, and that means even if you're a boss of one or two people, if you can't take care of your people, if you can't submit them for awards, if you can't justify a larger budget for your, your area of responsibility, um, if you can't defend against cuts, you're not as effective as what you could be. Um, uh, why, why is it? Is it powerful? I received an email um, out of the blue. This was several months ago now, but it was. Uh, it went to the effect, "Dear Colonel Bass, you probably don't remember me, and truth be told, I didn't." He said I was a senior airman, which is a junior enlisted troop back in the three twenty fourth Intelligence Squadron, where my personal journey with all this began. He said, I kept that handbook that you mentioned. I kept it, and I used it for 18 years. Because of that, I was able to get into officer training school. I just retired as, or I retired uh, after 20 years as an Air Force officer, and I'm now the vice president of, of a defense corporation because you taught me how to write. Wow. Okay. Oh, how gratifying. We're, we're, talking, we're talking goosebumps. Yeah, here. yeah. And, and, and that's just one of many, many stories that I've, you know, people would stop me in the hallways of the Defense Intelligence Agency or the Pentagon, and it was Colonel Bass, if you hadn't taught us, I, or taught me, I wouldn't have. And that's why I say it opened doors to incredible opportunities. There's so many um, new kinds of learning now. There are courses online, there are community colleges, 
Are there uh, a lot of writing programs out there? Is this something where you really need a program? Or do you find that with your book or your handouts that a lot of it can be self-taught? Oh, the, the, it can be self-taught, but you need the right techniques. So when, when I was uh, working on the manuscript for the initial book, the one that was published in 2017, I did all sorts of research to find out what was out there on the market. Um, several other books, would, I mean, I didn't invent all of these concepts. You know, what, Several of the other books would give a paragraph or two about useless words, a paragraph or two about redundancy, but that was it, very tangential. So, so what I do is I explain the strategies and I explain the word sculpting tools in great depth. So in this book, there are there are 200 exercises um, in the format that I use, which is before, here's the screwed up example, after, here's, here's the, the modified version, and analysis, which demonstrates the, trans, the transformation of how you go from bureaucratic blather to short and concise writing. So all of this is it's learnable. It's very, very easy. You can start off as an apprentice sculptor. And, and the more you practice it, the more instinctive it becomes. And pretty soon you'll begin recognizing the bureaucratic blather in other writings that, that crosses your desk. And, and you'll start thinking, I know how I could have written that better, or I know how they could write better. And you know what? When I was looking at this, at your book, it struck me that even if people are not going to be doing a lot of writing in the context of a job search or an interview process, if you go through some of these exercises and you learn how to get rid of some of the extra verbiage, you can perfect your um, elevator speech. You can reduce your key messages by practice them in Mm -hmm. writing then you can be more articulate, right? Exactly. So the second edition now has a new chapter on elevator speeches, on writing grant submissions, on writing the essay for college applications. You know, kids in high school, are they're, they're terrorized by that. But it's so easy if you learn how. I mean, it's, it's so easy. Well, I, I think that a lot of people probably are fearful that it's not as easy um, as you say, but you've taught so many people. Is mm-hmm. that why you know it's easy? I um, mean, have you had, do you find that when you do a workshop with lots of people that it they feels it. like people get they, it pretty they, fast? They get it, and that's one of the things I love about my, and my workshops. It's not I'm going to talk to you for two hours about writing. Yeah. These are interactive, engaging workshops, so I'll, I will explain a principle, and, and you know, in a slide I'll say, okay, here's, here's a messed up example, here's how we fixed it, and then example after example after example, it's your turn, your turn, now you guys fix it, you tell me, and, and it's, it's because of it's, it's interactive and they're actually practicing the skill that I just demonstrated, it resonates, and, and they, uh, they inculcate it, and, and I see the light bulbs, it's, oh, I get it. And the response is very often, geez, I wished I had that 20 years ago. Yeah. And then they march off. And, and you know, I, I just taught a two-day class in Chicago, and already I'm getting responses from those young professionals that, hey, we're already using the writing techniques. It, it works great. So you just have to know how, and it's really easy. Well, I um, am very impressed by how specific and useful um, your book is. And again, the, the title of that is Write to Influence, and it really does teach you um, how to write the, the specificity of the examples. I think it's just so handy and useful. So I, um, 
uh, thank you for sharing some of the tips. Just as sort of a, a final question, um, do you have any tips on how you can use writing to, to sort of maybe um, communicate better with your boss? That's a question I think a lot of people have. They're, they have trouble speaking to their boss uh, in a way that's effective. Is it the same kind of um, message sculpting can help you do that? Yes. One of my five principles in my writing um, approach here is empathy. So put yourself in your your audience's, um, look at it from their perspective. If you were the boss, what would you need from you. So for example, uh, if your boss is is heading off to a major meeting tomorrow, what does that boss need? That boss would need uh, a list of who the attendees are, a list of what the issues might might be, a list of the your office's previous positions on it. So you front load the boss with information that he needs. As far as writing, um, I had an article published um, in the Military Officer of America Association's magazine. I called it Strategize Your Way to Success. Whenever you go into the boss, have the, the top three things that you need. If you, had, if you had five minutes, okay, you have your information triage, but what happens if you got cut to one minute? So, so have the top three points that you need to convey to the boss already in your hip pocket. And, and uh, if you're writing something, make sure that whatever you submit is error-free. I'm just aghast at how people don't proofread their work. They pass it up the chain and they expect other people to proof it for them. Um, You need to take pride in your work. You need to develop the reputation for anything that comes off your pen or out out of your computer is perfect. You need to strive for that degree of quality. Um, and then I guess the last thing would be knowing the audience. Speak in terms that's appropriate to the boss. Um, d- don't speak too colloquially. Don't talk about kids. You know, if, if you're talking about family, just put on a polished, professional um, approach and triage the information. And know what you're going to say before you go in there. And also assume your boss is busy. Yes. And so you don't waste any time. You no. get right to the message. Precise, concise, and get off the stage. Okay, well, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun, and um, I look forward to playing with your book some more. I have so much information on my website. It's www.writetoinfluence.net. Um, on the media page, it's, it's a virtual, pardon the pun, a virtual library of podcasts and TV interviews and, and articles that I've written on anything from the college essay to here's how you do input for your own performance appraisal, a task that many people abhor. Um, so there's all sorts of information out there, too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that information. Today we've been talking with senior teacher and prize-winning writer, retired Air Force Colonel Carla Bass, author of Right to Influence. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that strong writing skills have the power to set you apart from the competition in just about any kind of career. If you're looking for a learning goal that could bring new energy to your professional life, consider building your skills as a writer. 
If you've enjoyed our show, tell your friends. And maybe give us a five-star rating. And please, come back soon. Thank you.